Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Henry, the CTO at Company Nurse, and we discuss the importance of having a coach to reach your maximum potential, ways to make yourself available to customers as a CTO, and the dynamics that go into building a highly productive team. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Henry, you look at that bike on your wall. Are you a biker? I am. I'm a ex professional mountain biker, avid cyclist, but now just for fun. Just for fun. What made you switch from pro to hobby? <laughs> uh, my body, more than anything. Um, I I had several pretty bad br- breaks and and crashes, and uh, after six or seven years of working with a coach, my body just said, you know, let's let's not do this anymore. Going through that process of doing something difficult and not wanting to give up and continuing, did that prepare you for your current role? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, well, interestingly enough, I think a lot of what I learned in uh, professional racing prepared me for uh, as an executive. You know, I think uh, for one, I, I talk about, uh, you know, the importance of having a coach to keep you honest, uh, which leads into having a plan, which obviously you, you should have a business coach, you should have a business plan. And then the discipline, right? One of the one of the key things, uh, and I don't know if this if we need to keep it PG thirteen, no, but we do one of the key things my my coach used to say is uh, number one rule is FTFP, follow the F and plan. That's the number one rule, right? And so when with your bit when you're a business, obviously you want to have a business plan, and, and obviously nothing always goes to plan, but you got to follow the plan. And then finally, it's looking at the results, right? So, uh, how are you? How are we doing? Did we did we finish last place? Or are we winning? How do we keep this up? And that happens every day in business, just winning deals and you know hiring the right person or hiring the wrong person. Yeah, no, for a hundred percent. Are you going to write a book about going from like cycling to IT management? I don't know that anybody's ever done that. I don't know that that sounds like a book I'd want to read, but maybe. <laughs> have you have you ever come across Sandy Metz? She's an author. I have not. Okay, she authors, well, last time, I'm getting old, 10 years ago, <laughs> she was authoring books in Ruby on like testing and things like that. And her analogies and, and examples that she would use were always into biking. You could just tell she was really into like road biking. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll have to take, uh, what was her name? Sandy Metz? Yeah, Sandy Metz. Mm-hmm. I'll have to take a look at that. Yeah. And so, so now you're just doing it as a hobby and, uh, like on the weekends or every, every once in a while, any of your family get into it? I've become a weekend warrior. I have influenced most of my, my family to buy bikes, whether or not they're actually using them as, as often as I do. I think the biggest difference now is I used to, um, spend 20 hours a week, say training, and then probably 20 hours a week recovering and doing other things. Uh, now I might spend 10 or 12 hours a week, but it's all for fun. It's all, you know, just small, uh, uh, shorter rides, always stop to take pictures and smell the roses as they say, and just really just enjoy it. Taking the scenery last during COVID last year, uh, did a couple of trips to Colorado, the high mountains, and that was pretty spectacular. So hopefully I'll, I'll return there this summer. So with all this fitness as ac- outdoor activity, how did you get into technology? 
Good question. So I think it, it started back in high school. So I'll date myself a little bit. Back when I was in high school, I was the the first and only kid at the time that was actually doing my term papers on word processor. So my mom bought me an IBM PCXT, had a couple floppies that you had to flip, and I just I I just learned how to how to use that, and I took those skills to my first job, which was actually in finance. So I started as a financial analyst, actually uh, derivatives trader. So I got all my securities licenses. I just got turned off from the nature of that industry and what I was seeing, decided to go become a financial analyst at a company. But all along, um, I found that people were uh, relying on me or the things that were making me shine were my technology skills, Excel skills, you know, putting a computer together, figuring out, knowing how it worked. A lot of that was also probably because I, uh, I was uh, using, you know, we'd buy a nice computer for, for, for finance at, in my first company. Uh, and I'd stay after hours because it was much better computer to play games on than, than anything that I could afford it at home. Uh, so, you know, I was, you know, in the office 10, 12 hours a day because two or three hours of that was uh, playing games after hours. I don't play any games anymore, but I think that understanding how to push the performance of a computer and how to run programs on it, et cetera, just kind of led me down this path. And, you know, I, I was walked into the dark side of IT shortly after that. What type of games were you playing back then? Gosh, back then it was Wing Commander. I don't know if, if that if that rings a bell. I think there's some newer versions of that, but it was uh, it was pretty intense. You know, it was hours and hours of trying to get to the next level. Yeah, I was playing uh, well, like a variety of games. I think one of the first games I ever played on the computer was Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? Oh, I had that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you could hear like the grinding of the the disc and it reading. <laughs> disc, it, it, yeah. it was it wasn't even the three. We didn't have the three yet. We were we had the five. I don't know what the size was, but it was bigger than the three. And uh, yeah, you put that thing in there, take it out of this like paper sleeve, and uh, here it go crunching away. Sure, sure. So, is this your first podcast? It isn't. So um, I've done a few uh, recently. I I um, one of our key vendors, vendor relationships with a company called Genesis. And they have a take a moment leadership podcast, which I, which I did about three, four months ago. And is it, how do you find it? Do you know, is it like, is it Genesis or take a moment? Genesis or? take a moment podcast. It's on, you know, all the typical streaming services, uh, uh, shoutcast, but yeah, uh, take a moment podcast. And it's profiling, uh, leaders in technology and obviously with a, with a focus on customer experience, which is, when you run a contact center or even as a CTO, to me, the user experience, whether it's a customer experience, whether it's your employee's experience, that's really where I like to say I, I focus my time is how do, we, how do we create these amazing experiences while you're using technology? So um, I've been in contact center, in the contact center space on and off for 20 plus years, uh, starting with Really, my first, uh, the company I was talking about, after I moved out of finance, I worked for a healthcare company in Boston, and we had our first sort of contact center experience. I had to set up a hunk group for a support team in an old Mitel platform. And since then, I've, I've like I said, on and off, been at companies, for, large fortune companies with hundreds of agents, maybe thousands of agents, and then small organizations, 
uh, company nurse is kind of in the middle. We're a dedicated contact center. We have about 60 agents now or had at our peak. We've, we've cut back a, a little bit on contractors because of COVID and I can talk a little bit about that. But Genesis is kind of this gem in, in the contact center space. They're still privately held. They are recently, well, I would say recently, about a year and a half ago, they brought on a new CEO, Tony Bates. He, uh, that name is pretty familiar in technology. He was one of the guys behind Skype that sold Skype to Microsoft. And so he's now uh, at Genesis. And it's, uh, it's interesting to, to know that uh, companies like Uber, Microsoft, Apple all rely on Genesis technology behind the scenes. And so we did a bake-off with a few different providers when I joined Company Nurse looking for a platform that could take our organization to the next level. And we ended up with Genesis. Well, what's a bake-off? Well, we had, you know, we had uh, three vendors that we, we looked at at the same time, right? Uh, kicked the tires a little bit, had trials, had the, the, the entire contact center management team take a look at each of the contenders and then come back and say, all right, which one, which one do we like? Which one do we want to keep? Nice. You get to try all the cookies. It's like a race. Yeah. It's like a race, <laughs> a race for vendors. Back to the mountain biking. Well, I was asking because there's uh, like a venture group that will do these contests and it's actually pretty interesting. There was one last year where it was a water park, right? I, I don't think they're doing well. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Shouldn't have gone there, but they had, no, no. here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. They made these like wrist RFID tags. And so the contest they held, there was a prize and it was, you know, anyone could build a team and join and then compete. And you went and then you pitched and you showed like what you built and your features and your prototype. And then they picked one to go with and, and let that grow. And to me, that was interesting because there's vendors on the market that already do it, but they're so sure. expensive that it's actually cheaper to hold a contest and have people figure out how to put it together and then just inject money to fund those talented people than it is to, uh, you get a company out of it too, right? So. Absolutely. Yeah. We, at my previous organization, we, we had a, a, a dedicated innovation team and one of the things that we did on a yearly basis was, uh, and I'm sure you've heard the term hackathon, right? Where you just, you know, for, for a week or for some short period of time, you get all these uh, bright minds and you say, okay, these are, these are challenges that either we don't have the time to do or we haven't figured out how to solve. Throw them up on a wall and, and let's figure out if we can solve one of them. And I think Facebook and other companies do these hackathons all the time. Twilio, I think, does. Um, and so it's, we, we don't, we're not doing that here at, at Company Nurse, but certainly something that I, I think uh, applies to the, the analogy or the example that you just shared. Yeah, it sounds like a smart move with Genesis getting the, the Bates guy, the Skype guy, because you're in communications. If you get that person on board, all of a sudden you've got a big name and they're they're growing. So that sounds pretty cool. Like when you did the bake off and you looked at these other three, like why did you choose them? Good question. So um, a, a few reasons. So I had my preference, uh, but ultimately we we put I put out a, a survey to all the participants and kind of this bake off in terms of the leadership team, the contact center management team, and we looked at it across several dimensions. Right, what's the best fit for the organization? Who do we who do we like from a feature perspective? Who do we think is going to be do a better job of implementation? The reason I I wanted to go down the Genesis path, and I think at the end of the day, we were able to test it and prove this out, was they were all-in-one solution, right? So you hear a lot in, in technology, best of breed versus all-in-one. Well, with Contact Center, you've got a couple of key pieces. So obviously, there's the bre bread and butter, the, the 
automatic call distribution and interactive voice response. Everybody does that and does that pretty pretty well. Uh, Genesis is built on a AWS microservices architecture. That was exciting to me from a technology perspective because I know how scalable um, that can be. They were also one of the, the few that were willing to, to uh, put some HIPAA uh, security protections in, term, in, in the form of a business associate agreement in place. Um, and then they, they had a workforce management or what they call workforce engagement management system that allows us to schedule staff, do quality management, so reviewing their calls, and all of that is integrated in one system. When we looked at the other vendors, again, it was best of breed. So it was, well, it's this vendor, 5.9 in one case, um, great product, but they're really just focused on the contact center. If you want to manage uh, your workforce, if you want the workforce management component, you're looking at implementing a second solution. And then for your business lines, you're looking at implementing a third solution. So now you're managing three vendor relationships instead of just one. And in my experience, sometimes when you have kind of vendors that integrate or, or don't integrate, there's a lot of sort of, well, these guys are doing this and that, therefore we can't do that. With Genesis, we have the uh, one neck to choke, uh, as, as we like to say in IT, instead of three. Well, I think it's important that you're thinking that way. So you're making life easier for yourself and that's going to free up your time and make it more scalable as a business because you know it's your responsibility to put company nurse in a good position, right? Exactly, exactly. So how do you explain to friends when you're out at dinner, couples or new people, kids' birthday parties, how do you explain what you do? Well, one, I, I obviously I say I, I'm in technology, I'm a technologist, but I think we, we touched on it a little bit. And, and what it is, it's, it's creating amazing experiences for whether it's results or experiences for the people that work at a company, the customers that you have, and then the results that you're able to get from that. If you have happy employees because they're happy with the technology they use every day, that's an important piece. They're going to be happier when they're talking to customers on the phone. We actually had some, um, interestingly enough, we had a couple of people that we were interviewing during the, uh, the time that we were about to upgrade to Genesis. And they were actually asking, what system am I, am I going to be using? Because if I'm going to be using some old technology that I literally have to you know, rotary dial, I don't want to work here. People want to work at a company that has cool and, and technology that delivers great experiences. So you know, long story short, I... I you know, I, I work uh, and create opportunities for others to build their career. That's become more of a focus for me as I've gotten older, that it's not just about the company results, but how do we create opportunities for people to really expand their career? And hopefully we can keep them, but if not, they can go someplace else and do even more amazing things. And when did you figure out that coaching was important? Uh, well, I think a lot of it uh, came from mountain biking. So I I wanted to be the best that I could be, uh, and and you know the people that I saw that were doing really well had great coaches. So I went out to find the the best coach and the best coaching team, and I think I did. And you know, unfortunately, that after seven years of that it sort of wore wore me out. Um, I I used to sign up for my coach a year at a time because I knew that if I did it month to month. I might have that one bad month where I just said, I'm, I'm done with this. But that, I think that led me to it. And in our business, 
we work with a with a strategic coaching company that helps us with our so they've set up a framework for the way we manage our our leadership team and our objectives but they also help us with our quarterly planning our annual planning and it's just really important right you have somebody that's coming from the outside so a lot of the politics don't come into play and some of the personality stuff that uh, that that sometimes uh, happens between leadership teams and we just have sort of this objective outside view of how we're doing as an organization and whether or not we're actually meeting the commitments that we set every quarter. And did that happen before you were at the company? It did. Yeah. So uh, that's actually part of what led me to company nurse is that um, our CEO, Paul Binsfeld, um, he, you know, through, again, probably some of the same um, ways that I ended up with a mountain bike coach, he realized, hey, companies that I see that are doing well have one thing in common, right? And especially smaller companies as they're trying to grow, they've got an external coach um, that's helping them and helping them advance. And so when about a year and a half before I joined, they put this framework in uh, with our our coach. Our coach, It's a company called Petra Coach. Highly recommend uh, Petra Coach. Um, they follow the Rockefeller habits, if anybody's read the, the book. And so, you know, we back then, even before I joined, they started this daily process of daily standups, which are very common in IT. So I've, for the last, I don't know, longer than I can remember, five, six years, we've been doing daily scrums. Sometimes in, in this case, I've got in company nurse, I have two daily scrums. So every day we're meeting with the development team, but then now we're also doing that as a leadership team. When we put that in place, a few people just said, you know, this isn't for me too much accountability, too much transparency or whatever the case might be. And they, and they walked. And so that wasn't the reason I ended up here, but there were some, some, um, you know, the company was ready to grow, grow, ready to move to the, to the next level. And, and so that's how I ended up here. Yeah. I noticed that a lot people discussing the maturity of a company, a lot of the startup group, the group that's in there initially with the chaos and figuring out what works and how to make money and, the amount of flexibility that you have to have to go through that process doesn't often mix well with the accountability at a later stage in growth company. True, true. I've seen that. I've seen that a couple times for sure. So are you guys scaling up pretty fast? Where are you at? We are. We are. So we were, we were double digit scaling. Um, we're looking at 20% growth prior to COVID. And uh, and we were really preparing for a, for a blockbuster year in 2020. We had made some big changes to our uh, sourcing strategy, so we had eliminated some uh, some contractor relationships and had signed some big deals. And then COVID happened in March. And I should I should share that about 50% of our business comes from K through 12 schools. And so you can imagine, uh, and by the way, we're a usage-based business. So if the phone doesn't ring, we don't get paid. Um, and so we, beginning of March, uh, as soon as we went into full lockdown, we saw our call volumes drop by about 50%. And so, you know, the, the first thing was, okay, we, we need to act. And I think that's another thing that, you know, to, to go back to kind of the mountain biking, mountain biking analogy is, you know, when you're in the middle of a race and you have a flat tire or something goes wrong or you crash, you're right back on the bike, right? So we reached out to our, our customers and we, and we just asked, how can we help? And we had one customer that raised their hand, a utility company in California. They said, you know, our employees are pretty freaked out coming to work, but we have to keep them at work because we run a utility, right? And, uh, and so we said, 
can we have our employees call you every day at a reduced cost, so less than what we normally would charge, so that your nurses can walk them through COVID symptoms? And we said, sure. I mean, we, you know, we've got 50% excess capacity now, more or less, in our in our contact center. Let's go ahead and do that. But at the same time, I realized that in order for us to really make a dent in COVID, and, and by the way, we had we we assigned in sort of an internal pledge that we were going to help a million employees return to work safely. We weren't going to be able to do that if they were calling us on the phone, right? We could take you know a couple hundred calls a day, maybe. Um, and so we started working on a solution to address this COVID challenge. And that is how to return uh, employees to work safely. And that's now turned into a digital companion, health screening companion that's being used by over 20,000 users a day. Uh, we've completed over 750,000 health screens since we launched. And that's now parlaying into a very healthy subscription business. So instead of being down 50%, which is what we were looking at in March, you know, we ended the year down less than 20%, um, which all things you know, considering um, what could have happened due to COVID was actually a, a real success. And now with schools coming back. We also, for years, we've had the seasonality in our business because we were so focused on schools where we started targeting enterprises, enterprises with critical workers that had to work, and then also upselling them with our existing business. And that, you know, we're, we're now seeing the schools come back. So we're looking at 30, 40% potential growth this year as a result of that. Nice. Well, good job on the adjustment and a difficult time. That's That's why I love... The, the concept of having really great people, because when they get back in the corner or you get punched in the face by something unseen, you have the ability to recoup and accelerate from there. That's like, that's the only option for me in my mind. Yeah. So the, you know, the one thing that I, that I learned and we won't talk too much about the goriness of this crash, but I had a pretty bad fall from, from uh, preparing for a race. And the reason that I fell was I, I came up to a drop and I've done this, you know, hundreds, dozens of times maybe in races, but I just came up to it. And as I was warming up and I kind of hesitated and I went over the bars, fell on my face. And the, the moral of that story is hesitation equals devastation, not only in mountain bike racing and training, but also in business, right? We could have hesitated. A lot of businesses hesitated, right? They're like, oh, well, this is going to pass. This is going to be two, three months we'll just keep going, you know, we'll try to keep people uh, working, working in the office somehow. Obviously, that didn't happen. They had to go to lockdown. We were already remote. So for us, we didn't skip a beat. But we were also able because we weren't so focused on trying to get our employees working remotely productively, because they already were, we were focused on building these solutions for our customers. And so who are your customers? You, you said some K through 12, but also some businesses. Like what exactly are you guys doing over there? Yeah. So what we do is we help. We, we're in this interesting niche that sits between healthcare and insurance and the workers' compensation industry. So in the U.S., uh, organizations are required to have insurance for workplace injuries. And what we do is we help, we we take, we lessen the pain of workers' comp. And that's obviously, there's a little bit of play in words. We lessen the pain for the employee. So let's say you're walking in the office and a, a roof tile falls on you. You've got a, a gash on your head. Maybe you've got a, you know, you need stitches. What you do in, in our case, you call us and immediately 
um, instead of being upset with your company because you just got injured at work, you're talking to a compassionate nurse. So it flips the the dynamic a little bit in terms of the, the employee feeling like they're being cared for. Then the nurse, ideally, um, if it's not a very deep cut, they can, you know, typically if a head injury, they need to be seen. But if it's something else, we can send that employee back to work with ice, ibuprofen, depending on the injury. Or if they do need to see um, a doctor, we can make sure that they go to the right point of care. So we have a database that we that we uh, maintain of all the clinics in the U.S. that accept these type of workplace injuries. And we can make sure that we're sending that employee to the right place of care. We also have, through some integrations with partners, we can get them a Lyft or Uber ride. We'll take them to their appointment bring them back to work. So now you don't have two employees that are leaving the office to take somebody else to work. That could result in another potential liability for the company. And then on the backside of that, we also lessen the pain for the employer because we're now, uh, one of the requirements of workers' compensation is depending on the state, you have to file all these state forms. So we capture all the information, we deliver those forms to the employer and to all the parties down the chain. So the employer the third-party administrator that may be administering that case if it turns into a case that needs to be administered, the insurance company that needs to know that this was a claim so that they can adjudicate the claim. So all along the line, we lessen the pain for everyone in the chain. And how did you meet the executive team over there? So I, through a mutual friend, I met uh, Paul Binsfeld, our, our CEO. I actually started as a contractor, which um, I I've done consulting on and off for probably 10, 15 years. And, um, you know, I think it's sometimes uh, if you're not able to do that, uh, we sometimes, and I know I have made the wrong decision about joining a company because, you know, for example, when I moved back to Arizona before everybody could work remotely, uh, my wife wanted to move back. We were living in Boston. That's another story. She wanted to get out of the cold. And, and so I took kind of the first job that I could because I, you know, you need, you need a job. And, and those typically lead to, you know, a less than uh, satisfactory work experience. And so now I, I'm very cautious about um, where I might go. But at the same time, company nurse is also very careful about who they let into this inner circle of, of leadership. And so we, we dated for a while, you know, maybe uh, three to six months. And then um, I was fortunate that they asked me to come on full time. Oh, nice. Nice. And what's what's the future looking like over there? Like Elon Musk get up. Like where's where's company <laughs> nurse in ten years? Pretty. Uh, that's a that's a great segue. So we um, because of this digital screening solution that we've built, um, and that we now have uh, twenty thousand plus daily users, we're actually taking a version of that concept. Um, to all of our 60,000 client locations, which account for millions of covered lives. And we're going to offer a free version of that solution so that all of our clients can return their employees to work safely. But we're also um, adding kind of a twist to that. And that is we want to become this digital health and safety companion for employees. So think about this. Work has changed forever because of COVID. Companies are more focused on the health of their employees. If somebody has a flu, it used to be if you're sick, you show up to work and you'd see people in meetings. Oh, don't, you know, I've got a cold. Imagine, imagine first, imagine being back in an office. That's difficult enough right now. But then imagine you're in an office and somebody next to you is sick. Nobody wants. 
uh, somebody sick, even though it may not be COVID. So the, the idea is to create this sort of orchestration engine with a tool that people can check in every day. So if I'm an HR or risk manager and there's a, a COVID outbreak at one of our factory factories or locations, I can send out a message immediately through SMS to all my employees. They can click on a link and they can immediately see what's going on. If they need to start, you know, uh, we're, we're helping companies with with testing management. So we have uh, very large productions where, uh, for example, in, in movie studios where people have to be tested every day, right? In order for things to continue. Or if you think of like, you know, uh, uh, the uh, White House, right? People have to be tested every day. So how do you manage that process? We're helping um, companies manage that through our software. And we hope this digital health and safety companion can help them get access to all these resources. Companies spend a lot of money on employee assistance programs and telemedicine and, and all these other benefits, but they're so difficult and disparate, so many disparate places to find them. We want to become that one-stop shop for, for our clients and then obviously expand beyond that. Have you encountered any engineering challenges doing this? Oh, there's always engineering challenges. I think the the interesting thing is the at the end of the day, we're relying on the plain old telephone network or system, POTS lines. Um, and surprisingly enough, you know, when you send a text message, it's going through to Verizon or T-Mobile. They've got outages all the time. So when you're relying on that text messaging as a as a core capability, you realize that, you know, there are some challenges there. So we've, you know, we're working with companies like Twilio to figure out how do we intercept any error codes and then use other means to still deliver those messages. That's one key challenge. Scalability is always a challenge. So when you're working at scale, when you've got 20,000 daily users, you need to make sure that you're for us, it's we're a, a SaaS first, cloud first company, heavily invested in AWS. So we're just looking at how do we set things up so that we can auto scale? How do we set things up so that we don't have any scalability or performance issues as we as we grow the service? Nice. Are you pretty pumped up about this? I'm pretty pumped up about it. Hopefully, it it comes across. I mean, this you know. For us, like I said, we we started with this uh, internal goal where we wanted to help a million employees return to work safely. We're we're closing in on a mi- million health screens. We're still somewhat far of our goal, but you know, in the new week, I don't know if you're familiar with the term BHAG. No. BHAG, um, and I've, I've, I should know who character who who came up with it first, but it's a big, hairy, audacious goal, oh, right? Okay. So yeah. it's supposed to be something that scares you. And so our big, hairy, audacious goal is we want to have a positive influence on at least 15% of all workplace injuries. And with this pitch that you know we now have and this prototype that we built and the product that we have, some of the people in the industry that we're talking to, are they've actually come back and said, well, that actually seems like you're hit, you're you're batting too low. Like you sh- you could have a positive impact on 25% of all workplace injuries. So maybe that'll be our new BHAG. You ever hook up with any co- companies like Gusto? No, not familiar with Gusto. Okay, so Gusto is amazing. They're a payroll system. So uh, like that's how I run my company payroll, and they have all of the integrations. So I can get my healthcare in there. I can get everything that I could possibly need to run my business is inside of that gusto as far as employees and HR, things of that nature. And if there was like a company nurse box that described this to me, that would be something I would click. 
Interesting. Yeah. So we use Bamboo, uh, Bamboo HR, which uh, probably competes with Gusto. I'll have to take a look at Gusto. But that's part of the idea is that we want, we don't want to become an HR system. We don't want to become an electronic health record or a case management system. But one of the things that's lacking, and maybe Gusto, this isn't lacking in Gusto, but a lot of these systems, first of all, they're disparate systems. So Gusto might be one system, but and they probably have a mobile app. Well, they want you to download their mobile app. Well, most employees don't want to download yet. You know, we're, we're, we're operating on under app fatigue. You know, I, the more I look at my phone, I see apps are getting uninstalled because I'm not using them, but I downloaded them once. Now, I'll, I'll be damned if I download yet another app that's going to do something. And then the other thing is there's there's somewhat of a distrust in, um, in just what you're going to do with my data in general, right? Even as an employee, do I really want to download this employment app on my personal device? How do I know they're not tracking where I am, you know, through GPS coordinates or what I'm saying or what I'm doing? And so we've designed the system to be a web-friendly or mobile-friendly web front end. Um, it's still an app, but it's not a downloadable app. It's enabled through text messaging. And we want to go wide not super deep. We're going to go deep in the areas that we operate, but we just want to go wide. So Gusto would be a, a potential integration opportunity. We could say, hey, there's a lot of employee information in Gusto, but your employee uh, assistance program, which if you're not familiar with that, lots of companies have EAP programs that help employees with financial challenges and divorce and you know, you name it. If they have an issue, they can call and be taken care of. We view our, our product the same. It's an employee benefit, right? You get hurt at work. We want to make sure that you know how to call us. And in today's world, it's becoming increasingly difficult because there aren't, you know, we can't put a poster up in a cafeteria when everybody's, you know, working remote or in the field. And so this is where a technology like this comes into play. So yeah, very excited about it. Yeah, there's there's a couple of those small business payroll providers that have emerged, but of all of them, I like Gusto the most just because I there's like square payroll too, you know, there's mm -hmm. a couple of them, but the thing that's so easy for me and we've got, you know, just under 15 people. So we're not huge, but there's a lot of companies that size, right. Is that's where I can go and look for the alert me of new benefits. Like as the company grows, new benefits become available or as they grow and add new benefits. And so it allows me to just like one click, like we can do in health insurance and like a click or two. Sure. Um, sure you know, all the different rewards as far as how long they've worked here, time off policies, basically everything that's, you know, with the humans and the employment side of things. And, uh, but I, I agree with, with not building a mobile app. And the reason why is because I don't like downloading more apps and there has to, my, my new thought on this is that there has to be an app reason like there has, for example, we did a leadership company and we built amazing leadership web application because everyone just does it, sends them a link in the email, they click it, they watch the video, they do something, perform some sort of action. You don't need an app. Like, why would you need an app for that? Sure. There's no, there's no technological need. It would actually hinder things. It would actually get less engagement if you force someone to download an app first. Why don't you just make everything super mobile friendly? You don't have the processing power. It's not like it's a video game in the browser, right? It's a video exactly. playing that's three minutes. So uh, I really am like functionally, I'm inclined to build something based on its needs. And if you don't need the app, if it's then don't build the app because so many people will build it and they don't have their business model first and they're a startup and they're like, we have to have the app. And it's like, no, you have to have the business case. You have to have someone with the pain that's willing to pay for it. Yeah, I, I 
I won't mention where, but I worked at another company where we had an app and um, some of the leadership team loved it. And I, I had the unfortunate job of actually having to report how many people actually used the app. And it was tiny, like 100 users, right? We, here we have a service that's being used by 20,000 plus daily, and we don't even have an app, right? It's a mobile-friendly site, and we're relying. If we had an app, it might make notifications easier, but we know that we just need to make it easy. There's a lot of distress right now in employers. There's just distress in general, and you know, we, we want it to be, I get a text message, I click on a link, and in two seconds or five seconds, I'm able to do what I need to do and go about my day. And in our case, we actually use the app. We have customers that are using the app to protect the health and safety of their employees, of, of kids in school. We've got schools where we've put up posters with QR codes. As families are coming in, they're taking a picture of the QR code. They're immediately taken to this web service in in literally 10 seconds, they show a green pass to the person that's going to take their temperature. So it feels great to know, hey, we're helping schools you know, get back to business. Now, a lot of schools have been closed, but we've had special ed schools that have been open all throughout the pandemic, and they've been operating thanks to our software in part. Yeah, some schools didn't close down at all, too. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's like a highly regional decision. But I am curious, I've got some questions here. So we have a community. Sure, sure. I'll give you some background context. So we have a community, it's called Elevate, right? And it's a community of technology leaders. I just joined, by the way. What? Did you? Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Okay, so yes. we've got some- I haven't participated yet, so you, you'll have to school me on what it is and why I should be excited. But I did, I got the pitch and I thought, this is great, I'd like to be a part of it. Dude, it is cool. Like, it's uh, it's like a, a dream. It's exactly what we wanted. We've got, you know, a couple hundred people in it now and it's pretty, pretty amazing. But so we've got questions, questions that come up. And it, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just your thoughts on the topic, if that's cool. Cool. Okay. So what's your advice for CTOs that are in a high stress stage of growth and they don't know when to stop working every day? Mm. So been there, uh, probably feel like I'm uh, there a little bit. So this is a little bit of me sort of uh, preaching what I do. I think it's important to recognize your role as a leader is not doing the work, although a lot of us do have uh, direct uh, responsibility, but it's really about the dynamics of building a team, a highly uh, productive team, and how do you do that, right? And so what, I've, what I find like when we launched this, this product, here we were, we're facing a 50% shortage in, um, in, our, in, our, uh, in our call volume. Uh, that that looks pretty scary. Obviously, you're thinking of, you know, are, are we gonna have to lay people off? We we didn't, um, which is great. But what we even even under that circumstance, we still made some hiring decisions because we needed to have the team to be able to support the twenty thousand users that we have. And one of the things that I, that I'm a big fan of is global outsourcing. And I don't mean outsource everything, but there there are definitely look at, you know, I would say look at what you're doing. Like literally if you're feeling stressed, look at where you're spending your time on a daily, weekly basis. And then ask yourself, is this something that would be better done by a developer overseas or or on or onshore? Would it be better done by another person in my on my team? How do I how do I make the case because my time is valuable and if I'm stressed out, there's probably a lot of stuff that I'm doing day to day that could be, you know, pushed to a, a, a more appropriate place in the organization. Now, if somebody said, well, I'm the only one that can do it, then that's a problem. 
right? You shouldn't be in a situation where you are the, 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 the glue that keeps it all together. That is true. I fully agree with that. Um, tips for dealing with a shoestring budget. Well, global outsourcing, uh, virtual assistance. Um, I'm a, we're, I've spent a lot of time in the Philippines. I worked for a company where we had a captive center, several hundred people in, in Manila. Um, I'm a big, like I said, big fan. You can find some amazing resources in places like the Philippines, Central America, South America. And, you know, you're talking about 12 bucks an hour, six bucks an hour, places like, Upwork. So, you know, one example is, hey, you need a you need a logo for your company, or you need some research done. Yeah, sure, you could do it yourself and spend all night doing it, or you could farm it out uh, to one of these uh, places like Upwork. They'll find you someone. In some in some cases, like if you're trying to build the logo, you actually have people competing for your business and getting you to uh, kind of a final logo. You guys have a very cool modern CTO logo, but you know, I'm guessing somebody did that internally. You could note from Upwork. Oh, Upwork. Yeah. So, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, well, I, I met this guy, Yuri on Upwork. He did several years ago, maybe five or seven years ago. And we've just been working together ever since. And we do a lot of work together and a lot of projects and yeah, it's just fantastic relationship. I've, I'm like a top user of Upwork. Like you can go and click on the profile and see they rate you as a provider, like how much money you've spent on Upwork and things like that. And I, when I see those numbers, I'm like, whoa, because <laughs> it's because I've been a customer of theirs, I think for at least 10 years, you know? So this is resonating with you, obviously. I mean, oh, that's, yeah. I think that's, that's a, that's a huge advantage. I think the other thing is you need to figure out a way to build, you know, th this Back in the day, we were doing waterfall development and everything took six months plus, right? We now, you have to figure out how to build solutions that can go to market in 60 days, you know, or, yep. or less and, and, and figure out a way. And so what, what we've done is we've turned to more of a subscription model, right? So low cost uh, per employee per month, but you know, the, the subscription revenue just keeps growing. And once you have it and, and our churn is, is almost, almost non-existent. So, you know, we were able to within 60 days, build the product and start to build that pipeline that was essentially paying for the development and the support resources that we needed to uh, put in place to maintain it. You seem to have a strong background in sales. How did you get that experience? <laughs> um, well, I don't, I, I do. And I don't, I guess I've, I've never really been a salesperson per se, but I've always, I forget who it was sometime in my career. I worked for a fantastic organization and we had a great uh, sales leader and he asked people who, who here in the company thinks that they're in sales. And of course, you know, a few people raise their hand. He says, no, you're all in sales. You're if, if you don't know what, what we do and how to sell our product, then you know, then, 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 then this isn't the right company for you. And so I've always felt that um, my value as a CTO is heightened by spending time in front of customers selling our product. So I don't have a quota. I don't get paid a commission. But if I'm not listening to what they have to say, the feedback on the features or whatever, I'm not, I'm not going to be as effective in my role. So how do you do that? Do you jump on like second or third calls. I don't know what your pipeline looks like for, for us. We've got, you know, first, second, third calls. 
or do you schedule time to talk with existing? How do you actually tactically, if someone's listening to you like, yeah, that's great. I hear that all the time in all the books, spend time with your customers, but what does that actually look like for you? So what, what it looks like for me is making myself available and accessible to the VP of business development, the uh, client service managers, the account executive, you know, when they say, Hey, I need help to me again, I'm, I don't think anybody's more important, but those are the those are the conversations that I want to be a part of. So, of course, I'm not going to be on the fr- on the first pitch of of a demo, but if it's a big enough deal, I might be. Or if if it's a a complicated new feature that we're rolling out, and maybe the the account executive doesn't understand it yet and asks for my help, absolutely, I'll be there. Right. So it's just it's it's that that old expression of I know where my bread's buttered, and I know. Where am I, you know, how we get paid and it, and it starts with sales. I love it because it was a hard lesson for me to learn. <laughs> uh, another question from, from the community, how can tech leaders and CTOs be better at getting CEOs to believe in investing in technology? Ooh, that's, that's a, that's a tough one. So I've had the, I guess, I'll say disfortune of reporting into the CFO or um, you know or or someone else down the chain on the finance side, and I think that's always that's always a challenge. So I think the important thing is make sure that if you if you are a CTO, you want to be reporting to the CEO. Um, hopefully, you're lucky enough that you you work with the CEO that's that's visionary. And so a lot of times it's understanding how to communicate with the CEO. What are the hot buttons, right? What are the things that that gets them excited? So they're not going to want to hear, hey, it's going to take six months and a couple million dollars, and we got to hire twenty. People, it's you know, let, build me the skateboard that's going to turn into the Tesla. But I want that skateboard to generate revenue. So how do we crawl, walk, and then run? And so I, I've part of my um, understanding and learning is you know you might have this big concept in mind, building a Tesla, but you might get further if you start with really explaining how you're going to build that skateboard that's going to turn into that Tesla. That comes back to the earlier conversation of time to revenue, like from idea to revenue has to be relatively short. Exactly. And then you can get people involved. Or, and it may not be revenue, right? It might be cost saving. So you can't say, well, you know, we're going to put this in place and a year from now, we're going to start to see ROI. No, you know, like when we went live with Genesis, we, we had a four month payback. We had a 289% ROI measured by a independent uh, research organization. And it was, interestingly enough, it wasn't necessarily the advantages of the system or the, or the, uh, the improvements that we saw and sort of handle time, although we saw those, it was, it was the reporting. It was the, the ability to hold our, uh, our employees accountable and for them to hold each other accountable. And in, in some ways, back to the racing analogy, you know, we created this digital scorecard for our agents and they became competitive, almost, almost too competitive with each other, right? They wanted to be faster. They wanted to be better. They wanted to have higher quality ratings. And most of the benefit we saw in the, in the deployment of the system wasn't the great technology. All, all that is there. It was the behavioral change in the employees and how that drove performance. We want to be number one. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Nobody likes to race. come sec- second place is first loser. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you've said like six or seven things 
like little isms on this this conversation that I haven't heard before ever, and I'm loving them. I'm like writing them down. Like this <laughs> hesitation is equals devastation. Yeah, yeah, I love that one. Knowing where your bread is buttered. This is these are great. <laughs> this is fantastic. I love meeting people like you. Tips for hiring. Okay, how do you find, attract, retain top talent? How do you get those good special people, man? Well. So I think uh, I've made, you know, we've all made bad hiring decisions. You learn a lot more about a bad hire than you do from a good hire. For me personally, I'm not impressed with certifications and qualifications. And, and of course, and all those things are important, right? You, got, you have to have the chops. But first and foremost, it's fit from a culture perspective. So knowing the culture of, of, of this company, knowing our values, is what, how can I probe this candidate to really understand if they're going to fit our culture? And, and each culture is different, right? So Facebook has their culture. We have our culture. So are they a culture fit? Do they have the raw intelligence? And again, it's hard to measure intelligence, but you can tell when you speak to somebody, is this, a, is this somebody that's bright, that, that's got it, that, you know, that's providing you with some interesting, uh, you know, discussion, or am I just not getting that intelligence? I would much rather take an entry-level Java developer and teach them how to become a Salesforce architect than go pay 200000 plus a year for a Salesforce architect that doesn't fit our culture, but has all the certifications, as an example. Yeah. So you just are finding the right questions to ask for the culture fit. And what's the culture like over there? Well, obviously, uh, high performance. So we um, we are very focused on our core values. So I, I want to share them with you because I think I think they're important. It'll get you a sense of understanding our culture. So we talked about nurses. So one of the values that's probably dearest to me and that I, that I feel strongly about is compassion for everyone. So a lot of companies have one word values. We talk about compassion for everyone, and and that's important for us because our nurses, if our nurses don't show compassion for the employees that they're talking to, that's going to turn into a bad situation. But it's also about somebody needs to be out because they, they're, you know, they had somebody in their family pass away or they're having a difficult um, uh, childbirth or whatever the case might be. Family needs to come first. And so it's that compassion, truly believing in the compassion for your employees and for others. Um, We've talked about, you know, you, you hear a lot of companies or you hear a lot of, well, this person really goes the extra two mile. One of our core values is go the extra two miles. And so we're always going above and beyond. We do that for customers. So one of the things that differentiates us from our competition is we hear it all the time. Well, they won't do that or they're going to charge me extra for that. And they're going to charge me extra for that. And of course, you know, we, we, we like to make money too, but we really do go the extra two miles and come up with creative solutions, which leads me to another core value, which is driven to find solutions. And you can tell from this COVID screening solution that we created that we were really driven to find a solution for our customers because we were we were listening to them. The one that 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 another one that that obviously is very important to me is do the right thing. That seems obvious. Um, the golden rule, actually, I, I heard of uh, somebody ta taught me or or talked to me about the platinum rule. So you know, the golden rule is treat others like you want to be treated. Well, the platinum rule is treat others the way they want to be treated, right? So really think about how do people want to be treated, and then 
treat them that way. And then the one that I need to work on the most is working together to work it out. So sometimes I have the tendency of going to a cocoon and just figure it out on my own, you know, like, like the analogy or the, the question that you asked me about, you know, I'm working all hours, I'm crazy. Sometimes I do have the tendency of going into that cocoon instead of working with the team to figure things out. So that, I mean, that that is in our culture but if if you if you don't know those values and live those values daily you, you're not you're not going to fit in this company you're not going to last and and the, the beauty of it is you know we've got these uh, th- this isn't just you know any one of our executives will 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 walk you through these values and when we have issues with employees or when we have issues with each other or on projects we always tie it back to the values to find the solution i love it don't cocoon that's like don't your cocoon. Sign. Don't if cocoon. If you're cocooned up in a dark place, get out there, get some people involved, yeah. have some conversations. So as as we start to wrap up here, I'm curious, what are you learning? Like you obviously reading leadership books, you're into that stuff. What are you learning right now as a leader? I'm trying to look for some of my books here. So I I, I really am enjoying. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Chip Conley. And he, I'm going to butcher uh, the name of, uh, of the organization that, that he runs, but basically he was hired by Airbnb to be the mentor to their CEO. So he was the CEO of Joie de Vie, which was a very successful hotel company sold to one of the big hotel conglomerates, obviously didn't need the money, but he was hired knowing nothing about technology to be the mentor for an incredibly successful entrepreneur, you know, Airbnb billion dollar company, obviously. And it's interesting to, as I'm getting to, I'm going to be 50 in, in March. So, and of course now, now I've dated myself as a CTO. I think that's, you know, one of the challenges is sometimes people are looking for, oh, I want a CTO in my thirties, you know, somebody that can get in here and code and hold all these developers accountable. If your CTO is coding, you got some, you, you, you may be doing things wrong. Um, but yeah, so Chip Conley um, has a few books, and and I, I like it because it really it's it's embracing the fact that I'm going to be 50, and that I may not have the technical skills that I had when I was 20 or 30, but I have the experience and the know-how in terms of how to get things done, how to overcome obstacles, and why, you know. <laughs> why companies do some of the things that they do, right? And why it's important to do some of the things that we do in, in, in development and other things. So I think it's that, uh, that that's really helped me. And he has a couple of books out. I just looked them up. He's got one out, Wisdom at Work. That looks like his Wisdom most at recent work. one. Yeah. Have you read that one? Yes, yes. That was, that was exactly the, the one I was thinking about. Nice. Yeah, he's pretty easy to find online. If you Google him. I even spelt his name wrong, but it corrected <laughs> It found you. Let's see. There, uh, you know, uh, I'm reading some stuff about AI, or, or I think there's uh, a book. I don't know if it was Elon or or Bill Gates that recommended it, um, but one of their their top books uh, about our last invention and how AI, you know, kind of the the good and the bad that that can come from from AI. You can probably look it up and yeah, I think about it all the time. Um, we're, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about where some of the things that we're able to do, you know, working with Genesis, they, and of course, you know, there's this whole thing about, well, is it really AI if, if it's not learning? Well, most of the AI today is machine learning, but because we have such a repetitive process, there's some really exciting stuff that we're working on with Genesis. Some of it, obviously, uh, uh, 
we can't talk about, but you know, to to take all this unstructured data for these repetitive conversations that we have and start mining that for possibilities, what we can do with it, whether we can predict that somebody's being truthful or not, or whether we can uh, provide our 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 constituents down the path with some additional insight based on 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 some of the things that we're able to pick up. My uh, producer just messaged us. He said it's James Barat. Um, our final invention. Our final invention. Yeah, that's the book. So you guys are working on some super secret. You're you're building the future over there. When I asked you about <laughs> Elon Musk, you just used that for like talking about your app thing. Uh, but <laughs> you guys are really doing some cool stuff under the hood over there, huh? We are. I, I wouldn't expect anything less. This has been fantastic conversation, Henry. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk with me. We made a podcast. How do you feel? I love it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Talk soon, buddy. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.